Hello and welcome to this episode of the Decade Podcast. My name is Melker Larsson and I am one of the hosts of this show together with Jonathan Angel, who you will hear shortly. And this is a podcast where we curiously explore holistic sustainability and answers to the question, how on earth can we live together? Join us as we learn from inspiring stories from champions of sustainability and beyond. We hope to inspire you to think, act and work for a better planet for all throughout this decade of action. In this episode, we had the pleasure to speak with Anna Pernastol, who is a senior researcher at the Integrated Transport Research Lab at the Royal Institute of Technology. And that's a mouthful, but she lives up to the name for sure. Uh, what I think is really interesting about this episode is Anna's perspective on the future. She's working for a transportation sector that can fit into a sustainable society. And her and her team, they look at these issues really systematically of not just only looking at technology and its advancements, but also of how we people relate to new technology and perhaps more sustainable solutions and also what the infrastructure might look like in those scenarios. Something that inspires me from her work is that they not only do this in labs and in research papers, but they also go out there and test new solutions to see how people relate to them and see what the actual data becomes. Because I think that is so crucial that we not only theorize about the future, but we actually try to implement it and see what works and what needs to be changed and iterated. And one of the main takeaways for me in this episode is really how we humans relate, how we see these shifts and how we can change our behaviors in relation to these aspects of it's not only to have as sustainable cars as possible, but it's more how can we relate to transportation and the need for transportation in an as sustainable way as possible. So Anna gives us lots of beautiful examples that you can hear for yourself. So without further ado, here's the episode. Anna Pernestol, how are you today? Thank you, I'm I'm good, thanks. Nice, happy to hear. Now, today we're going to talk about the transport sector and its challenges, opportunities, and some of the very important aspects in this transition that we're currently in or, and are, are facing throughout this uh, decade and onwards. And you work at Scania and uh, KTH, the Royal Institute of Technology, a university here in Sweden and in Stockholm where you work as a senior researcher at the Integrated Transport Research Lab. Can you tell us more about that role as a researcher and what is it that you dedicate your time with? Yeah, I am uh, a fundamentalist uh, when it comes to sustainable uh, transports and and this uh, transformation to sustainable society. And uh, at ITRL, Integrated Transport Research Lab, Uh, The I, the integrated there, stands for that we need to integrate different perspectives uh, to reach this sustainable sustainable society. It's not only about technology, it's not only about business models or policy or users, but we need to integrate those perspectives. 
Um, but we also need to, to integrate different system levels. Uh, so it's not enough to only look at yeah, how can we electrify one vehicle? How can we make one vehicle more sustainable or change the behavior of one individual? But we also need to look at the whole society and how this connects and, and how, for example, freight transport and, and people transport interacts and, and how built cities uh, interacts with the transport system, um, etc. And to reach the sustainable transport system and sustainable society, we need to integrate organizations and actors also. The industry cannot do it themselves. The academy can for sure not do it themselves. And, and the society and, and societal organizations cannot do it themselves. But we need to collaborate. That's my, that's my passion. Um, that's also uh, what my research is about very much. That sounds very interesting. And it sounds like it's very in tandem with when, when we speak about holistic sustainability here, it's like mm -hmm. synonyms to to each other, the integrated or fundamentalist approach. Um, I'm, I'm very interested to hear how long have you been in this field and working with transportation and what has changed throughout that period? What has been the emergent friends throughout, throughout your career? Um, yeah, I've been in the transport industry different perspectives for more than 20 years now, mm. working yeah, both with vehicles uh, and how we can use, uh, starting with how we can use data and, and IT systems to improve operation and maintenance. Um, and 20 years ago, I, I think that was maybe a part of the sustainability movement and also integrated taking the new technology from, from data and, and the IT and integrating it with a, yeah, a bit traditional uh, industry. I've been uh, working also in the railway industry, which uh, is very interesting in Sweden uh, and uh, yeah, other countries as well, but maybe in particular in Sweden because we have taken quite far steps into uh, privatization uh, of the railway sector, which connects the different companies and organizations in the industry in a very interesting way. And I think those experiences made me really understand that it's not, it's really not enough with a good technology mm. and it's not enough with a good business model. And it's not enough with only a good uh, procurement and, and good uh, like uh, contracts and agreements. But we need to really integrate those different perspectives. And I think that has been my line, my trend through, through my work mm. uh, until I ended up at uh, ITRL, where we really focus on those questions in, in research. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And it's something that has been this thing with systems thinking and not looking at one only one, one variable and address that but to combine multiple variables and look at them together as a system i think it's uh, it's something that has been coming up both in our education when we've been studying sustainable sustainability and uh, sustainable development but also in our podcast in in many various uh, episodes so that is something that we we're going to deep dive more into today uh, but first, we touched a bit. You, you you've been in the the industry for twenty years there, and if we if we look at our current transportation system and perhaps the the challenges we, that we we faced with that current system, uh, we of course have the 
the the need to decrease a vast amount of CO two emissions if we're going to meet the net zero targets that we've we've set up. While there seemed to be a maybe a, perhaps a, an increasing demand for for uh, transportation uh, for various reasons and uh, perhaps not shy away either from the number of uh, accidents and and deaths happening each year. I'm curious to hear more from you and your thoughts around around the challenges of our current system in place and what is it that you're aiming to address with with the work that you do at KTH? Very good question. Um, I think we, we see a lot of very good development going on. Autonomous vehicles that, for example, can drive more safe and, and also um, much more, with, with much less energy consumption on the streets because they are optimized. Uh, so, so I think that autonomous vehicles, for example, self-driving vehicles can do things in the best way. Mm. Uh, so, so we need to work on that and, and also electrification, uh, reducing energy, uh, energy usage uh, from the vehicles, from the individual vehicles. But we, we also need to work and, and a, lot of good, a lot of good research is done there. My experience is that less research is done on how those vehicles maybe fit into the system. We, we, there is, of course, a lot of, of research and studies done on human behaviors and acceptance of the, the new services and, and, and so. But, uh, for example, with autonomous vehicles, we have seen in, in our research that, yes, they will be more sustainable on the individual level. Uh, they will drive more safe and, and reduce number of crashes or accidents. But at the same time, they will, could potentially make it cheaper to, to drive mm. uh, yeah. or, or to, drive, to ride because maybe ride a taxi. If we take, take away the driver, the cost of the driver, the, the price will reduce significantly. Uh, and we know from, from previous studies that, that that leads to that we, we drive more. Mm. We use the cars yeah. more when they get more uh, when they get more cheap. And then there will be more cars on the streets instead of less. And it might be so that that increase really eats up all the benefits from, from the individual level. We don't know yet. We don't know this development, but we need to connect those two different system levels to, to understand and also yeah, to be aware and, and build yeah, together build a society that is more sustainable. And I think that's where our research comes in very much to connecting the different perspectives. And, and yeah, the, the, this can be quite tricky, <laughs> but mm. it's, it's super, uh, super exciting. Yeah, you bring in something there that is uh, super interesting and something that we've been mentioning previously in this podcast, uh, which is called Jevon's Paradox, or you can call it absolute versus relative decoupling, where as you make something more accessible, especially if we talk in something that relates to energy, which most things do, um, that we tend to utilize that service more and then the overall emissions or usage of energy goes up. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, I think, one of the reasons why we often come back to talking about the human perspective and the thinking that goes into any sustainability transition, because it's not just a material or technical shift that needs to happen, but in the way we relate to that shift and the, the new technology. So that's really interesting to see. And there's so many different ways to we can talk about this. But um, is there anything specific that comes up as a usual uh, thought piece around how people relate to 
the idea of self-driving vehicles, for example. I think it's, uh, yeah, when talking about self-driving vehicles, I, I think, and how how we how we look at them, I, I think it's very interesting because uh, the view of, of the autonomous vehicles have been quite pushed from the industry side. If we are together with a, with a colleague and, and PhD student, uh, Marie Bemler, I, I, we have, she has studied yeah, how the society in, understands autonomous vehicles, how, how we in the society and the industry look at this trend. And she has found that we look at them in the same way. They look like eggs. Uh, and and they are for um, yeah like driverless taxis more or less that can drive long and we can sleep in the back and and we kind of take the current trend or or like status of the of the car that has been living since i don't know uh, 1960s or or even before and make that the future the future dream so so we kind of take the new technology and adopt it to a behavior uh, that we currently have. And I, I think, uh, of course, not everybody in the society, but but a lot of the pictures, that, uh, if you Google like autonomous uh, autonomous cars, this is the picture that you will see. Uh, but at the same time, I, I think I see that we really have the opportunity. This can completely transform transport and, and mobility. And, and we can, for example, use it for shared mobility, not only shared like in series, going one person at a time, but going together, we can could help. We could use it as a call it a uh, use the driverless vehicles call it a, as a rolling bus stop mm. that collects people and bring them to the high capacity transport, high capacity public transport to really boost the shared mobility mm. instead. But that that requires a little bit of other system thinking. Mm. Um, I hope that we will see more of that. Yeah, I, I know that you've done some. You guys have done some some studies on this, on on sh- sharing cars and um, and commuting around, specifically around in Stockholm, right? And how prone are we to to engage in things like like share share cars, for example? And we talked about decision making there. How what is your perception of how open are we to make this transition to share vehicles, for example, to commute to work? That's not really my specific mm. area of research, mm. uh, but or a few comments or, or um, reflections that I've had in, in our project is that I, I think it's important to not, maybe not think about it as we need to change, mm. but to look at what we can get instead and, and promote a new, promote a new service. If we can, uh, yeah, get it smoother, if we can get it more environmentally friendly. Uh, I think a lot of people want to, to live sustainable. Mm. Uh, and and we can, if we can look at what we can get instead of more like, yeah, I need to shift from my own uh, car to a public transport that's always crowded and too late. Mm-hmm. If we can, yeah, I, I can get smooth transport. I can get working time while transporting. Uh, I myself has really realized I, I used to to travel by car many years ago now or commute by car uh, and then by yeah I, I started new new job and and then I could also at the same time started to use public transport and I realized how free I was mm. 
when I used public transport. I could go anywhere, uh, more or less at any time, and I could use the time doing other things than just sitting driving. So, so I, I shifted because of the freedom, mm. and that's why I, I stick to it and uh, hate driving now because I, I feel really locked in when driving. So I think we need to, to look at what we can, uh, yeah, what we can get. And then we also know from, we, we also know that, for example, when uh, changing jobs, when moving, uh, when getting kids, when there are those big changes in our lives, we are more open to shifting to something, try something new. And if the new thing that we try is good, uh, we, we stick to it. Mm. So kind of a window of opportunity there. Yeah, I think that's a, a really beautiful and important way to look at it, to be kind of optimistic about it and see, okay, what value can we get out of this, this transition and not like what, what sacrifice do we need to do to transition to a sustainable society? I think that's a quite common misconception when we talk about sustainability. We always look at what we can't do or what we're not allowed to do. But instead, I think it would be so much more powerful to to shift the focus to towards what's what's possible and what we can gain, uh, and using mm. like pos- a positive and optimistic uh, mind- mindset about that. Yeah, there was w- exactly what I was going to comment on as well <laughs> with the with that idea of what's been reoccurring in in our podcast of not trying to just shine light on what we need to run away from, but what do we want to run towards? What are we longing for, mm. and how to make people lustful and longing and positive about the shifts that that can happen yeah and, uh, and it another... has been very present in in some of the previous episodes that we've been recently recording as well i'm especially thinking of the one with uh, rob hopkins where, um, and uh, anna therese genari where we talked about climate optimism so i think it's a something that is gaining so much more light at the moment. And I think it's um, Mm. immensely important to be, because that opens up the possibilities and uh, and, uh, uh, new thought patterns of what's, what's really possible. And uh, if we, if we're going to change on many different uh, levels in, in, in this system, I think that's going to be crucial. Hmm. Yeah, a story from a few years ago before really this electrification of of, uh, uh, of cars and trucks uh, took off. Uh, I, I visited uh, BMW uh, and they said that, yeah, we have really problems selling our electrified cars. We try to sell them as green, we try mm-hmm. to, but no one wants even to try them. Mm-hmm. But then they, they realized that as soon as people had tried them, they wanted them. Not because they were green, but because of the power, the acceleration, uh, the feeling, the comfort. It's it's silent, uh, etc. And and we know that also from Tesla. They they build their whole uh, uh, story on this. Mm. But I, I think that's a really brilliant example of how the the sustainable uh, alternative uh, is yeah over outperforms uh, the unsustainable ones. But on not on sustainability, but on other uh, aspects. Mm. Yeah, and touching on that, it's um, this uh, idea of also not thinking about these shifts in a reductionist way, where uh, we, of course, want perhaps the shiny and bright objects and that can make us move faster and uh, make us feel better. But I think it's very fundamental for us to come back to 
what are the needs we are fulfilling with the, the Tesla or the BMW that mm. is electrified with the electric car or with any transport in, in general? Because that question is so uh, fundamental to be able to actually make this systematic shift. And we've spoken before about circular economy on this podcast. And from a philosophical point of view, the first principle of circularity is really to reduce the need for consumption because the, the consumption that has the least impact on the environment is the one that doesn't happen. And it's probably true as well for transportation. Even if you drive by an electric car, that car had to be manufactured with some uh, precious metals and uh, a whole process and uh, the batteries and um, the energy, the electricity in itself needs to be produced somehow. So I'm very interested to hear more on this perspective of this first principle of circularity, or if you will, how that's utilized in in your work with the systematic change of um, what are your thoughts about making the need for transportation less so that we use less energy overall? Yeah, you, you are so, so I couldn't say said it better myself. We do need to, I mean, transport as a transport has no meaning. I mean, the only value a transport gives is yeah, moving a product from one place to another place or moving a person from one place to another place where kind of the, the value of it increases in some way if we go back to the fundamentals. And we need to work on, on the technology and how we perform the transport. But we also, of course, need to work very much on, on the transport demand. And th there we have uh, Jevon's uh, paradox for example, if transportation gets cheaper or, or cheaper both in money and, and both in sustainability uh, uh, guilt. Uh, we know from our research that people driving with electrified cars drive more because they yeah, do not have any bad feelings for driving. So, so uh, yeah, that's a fact and we need to understand that and work with that also. This is really, it's really a challenging problem and, and we know from other research, for example, that where we created a living lab, like a demo, an experiment in, in the real world, where we opened up a job hub, not, you, you know, those co-working offices. Uh, they are usually placed in the city centers, which means that people need to go from where they live to the city center and work. And, and then they could go to an office instead. From a transportation perspective, that doesn't give much. Uh, so we opened the, the, this co-working hub in a suburb instead, in Bolchika, where close to where people live. So they could go a short distance instead, but get, get the same uh, benefits from being at the co-working hub. But the preliminary results from there show that what happens. Yeah, when, when the, the days when they go to the co-working hub instead, walking or biking, they use the car more uh, mm. because they get more time uh, so they can use the car. The days when they commuted to their normal offices, um, mostly with public transport, crowded, taking time. Yeah, they, they uh, did not have time <laughs> to use the cars, uh, basically. And, and uh, so something that seemed to be a very good and sustainable solution is not obvious a, a, good, uh, a good solution from a system perspective, because it, more, it, it didn't really reduce the trouble, but maybe slightly shifted it to a more unsustainable travel instead. Mm. Also, I, I would like to, to yeah, think about another example. It seems, for example, in, in the, as a, 
uh, an effect of, of the pandemic and the COVID. We know that people tend to move out from the cities because you can work, uh, work from home uh, more. But also moving out from the cities creates some travel back into the office now and then on, on a lower, uh, lower frequency. But it may also create other more travel to schools, to, to uh, like football or, or spare time activities, etc. So it creates a lot of more, could potentially create more travel on, on the free time even if it looks like you reduce your commuting time. So, so I think what I'm trying to say here is that, yeah, it, there, there is no uh, simple solution. Uh, but to really understand this, we need to lift us up a few levels or several levels up in the system hierarchy. And, and maybe it's, it's there with the, with the values and, and how we want our life and, and the pace in the life, etc. Maybe it's there we should start our transition and then that will sh- shift uh, our behavior. Or probably it will go both ways, of course. But, but it's important to also remember yeah, the values in our, in our lives, not only sustainability values, but values. How much do we need to travel? How much do we need to to shop and, and consume and so on. But, but I see very good trends in that field also. So, so I, mm. I hope we are on the right track. Yeah, I find this, these examples you give are very interesting and it brings to mind the, the topic of like how we make decisions and how policy makes um, adjustments systematically for us. Uh, because you mentioned there are some smaller scale experiments which gives you new insights into how people actually behave. And I think those can be really valuable when you, oh, we thought it was going to go this way, but it actually went like this instead. And knowing that can inform bigger decisions in a great way, because if you make those types of shifts that you mentioned um, on on a grand scale without knowing what will happen, Mm -hmm. that might create a lock-in effect as well, because when you shift something it's not maybe just, oh, that didn't work as we wanted it. Just retract that. It can be something that perhaps in politics is locked in for four years. Or even if you if you build a train track somewhere, that will be there for, for a long, long time. So mm-hmm. there's infrastructure behind it. And we tend to, in this podcast, not really go into any political discussions. But from just a systems thinking perspective, what are some thoughts or maybe even concerns you have with how um the decision making climate is for policymakers today yeah i, I think it's uh, the the political system at least in sweden is is far too short sighted with with the uh, four years uh, we have four years between our elections and and uh, that's really far too short time i i think uh, the transformation really needs long term long-term decisions. But at, at the same time, I, I also see a very good collaboration between the, like the public sector and the private sector to set up those demonstrations or, or living labs or tests that we can learn from, which is also a good, good uh, 
yeah, really good way to learn which things we should scale or, or not scale. Uh, but it it's really delicate uh, challenge making decisions. We need to reduce CO2 emissions now. So we need to invest in some things now, uh, but that might cause a lock in in the long term. So, so it's, it's really big because we cannot just only sit and think what will be good in the long term. And I, I think this is also a problem. Yeah, part of the system thinking, how can we do choices that do not lock us in uh, in, in a future way too early, at mm. least? Yeah, I was thinking about this because there's soon to be an election in Sweden and there seems to be lots and lots of talk about the recent increases in fossil fuel prices and uh, how that can have effects in many different areas of the society. And many people talk about the countryside as being damaged an unequal way compared to the city centers. And it's really interesting because I don't have any answer to what the right thing to do. I don't think there is a simplistic way to say that this is the right thing to do. But what my what I'm scared of when when so many people uh, go on election with we are going to lower the, the fossil fuel prices is, well, what type of effects does that create? What types of incentives does that create mm. for um, for everyday consumers of this? And what does that give the market? Because as mm. fossil fuel prices increase, the alternatives or something becomes more attractable, attractive. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm not having an indistinct question there, but I'm very interested to hear your, your thoughts on this topic because it's so apparent in, in at least the Swedish society now and I think worldwide as well. Yeah, one thing that comes up in, in my mind is that we need to be so aware that it's not one solution that fits all. We are so used to, when thinking about transportation, I mean, the private car is more light as a Swiss army knife. It, it works everywhere and we have more or less the same big cars in, in the more rural areas and as in the city centers. The car should do all the work in all situations and the setting with a private car. I know there, of course, there are differences in the city centers, like big city centers and so. But to be a little bit general, that's how private car is seen. And, and that's also how we see it. I, I think a lot of our politicians speak also a lot that yeah we need to do something that is good for everyone mm. and that will not be sustainable in the future uh, we need to be open for that there will be different solutions in different places there will be different in the cities we should definitely not have any subsidies for any fossil fuels we can push uh, sustainable transport because there is a uh, more access to shared communication or, or shared uh, transport or shared mobility. But maybe in the countryside, we need to have other perspectives. Maybe it's uh, the autonomous uh, car that is the best on, on the electric car that is the best on the countryside, but not in the cities. Mm. And we need to really to be open to that. And, and that's also yeah, a critique I've gotten very often when I presented yeah, solutions or ideas about mobility as a service, mass, as it's called sometimes. Yeah, but it will never work in, in the countryside or the northern Sweden. No, it will not. And, and it shouldn't. Because there we need another solution. And that's really a mindset I, I think I would like to see more. Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, <laughs> two things come to mind for me. It's like th that we're it's so easy that we compare ourselves to others 
or compare with other services okay as you say now it's not never gonna work in the in the north whatever and this negativity bias i think also kicks in but but i think you're so so right here and it connects again comes back to the the system thinking and the integrated thinking that you you're you're working so much with at um, mm. at the university um, so I think can we can we deep dive a bit more into that and talk about how you you talk about this how you integrate the science perspective and integrate different actors and also different systems? Um, can you elaborate a little bit more how you how you work with that and how that could maybe some examples how that could work practically practically? Yes, of course, and I think many of our research projects has been formed just as living labs or some kind of real yeah real life examples where mm. we uh, for example the working hub in in the suburb that i mentioned we have had uh, we started several years ago now i think it's uh, seven or eight years ago we started with uh, off peak night deliveries nighttime deliveries in in the city of stockholm and this might not seem I can take that as one mm. example. It, it might not seem, seem as like uh, rocket research. Hey, we're going to do deliveries in the city during nighttime. But technology-wise, it made really push towards uh, noise reduction, uh, which means electrification, basically, when we're talking about trucks. The challenge we had here was really the noise in the city. And there was a legislation saying that you're not allowed to go inside the city of Stockholm during night hours Mm. uh, due to the noise, due to the citizens and and the people living in the city. But the city of Stockholm realized also that it's not good to have all the distribution uh, traffic uh, on the streets between six and nine in the morning. Uh, like when everyone else wants to be on the streets. So we had really a, a restriction in, in using the space there. Mm. Uh, so, so they said, yeah, we can release the legislation to operate during nighttime mm. um, if you can take away the trucks from, from the morning rush hours, mm. basically, uh, without being too noisy in the night. Mm. So so we created a... yeah. Innovation project, a research project, together with different stakeholders from the industry, uh, we operated together with them two tracks during night hours in in city of Stockholm. We collected data both from a transport efficiency perspective, not being stuck during uh, during morning rush hours, meant that they could use their vehicles much more efficiently. Uh, so one one vehicle could be used twice as much. In addition, they could use it for more regional transport uh, during the morning hours. So three, maybe three times as much. And that pushed companies to invest more in their, in their vehicles and they could invest in, in more sustainable electrified vehicles and take the cost, the higher cost of the electrified vehicle. Mm-hmm. The challenge here was uh, we collected uh, yeah, data from uh, the noise researchers, from policy researchers, exploring... Uh, labor perspectives and working hours. We explored business models for for these types of services and found uh, opportunities and barriers from all those different perspectives. The challenge in this particular case was mostly the transport buyers or or the receivers of the goods. Mm. 
so the key question here was really how can the how can goods be delivered during nighttime without having a person there mm. so, so that small part with the deliver, delivery if we could resolve that it created a lot of opportunities accelerating the shift to electrified heavy trucks uh, so i think that's a very interesting connection and we would not have found it if we had did not do the experiment the the real life experiment we we could not like think this out mm. so I, i think that's a yeah one approach to do this system research mm. but of course we do and and it's <laughs> like practically i i take researcher from different perspectives more or less put them in the same room and say now we're going to write the paper together mm. Uh, and and they are curious but but it also creates a lot of fight because they have different languages uh different perspectives etc but but the, the, yeah we we take the fight and and all the friction mm. and and most often it it comes out something mm. really it, it really new it's a tough work but but it creates new insights mm. Mm. and i i think this is super important coming back a little bit to the policy or, or decision making in, in general politicians if, if they run and yeah if, if they had run the, the off-peak project uh, without the integrated aspects they would have gotten yeah a number of reports from from the users from the uh socioeconomic analysis from the transport uh, perspective from the the noise perspective and maybe they read one maybe they read the the one that is on the top or the one with the fanciest yeah look look is looking the best or we don't know mm. <laughs> how they select which one they they read and then they only get one perspective yeah. so so yeah. i think it's super super important to to do the work to integrate the different perspectives mm. before mm. making the decisions mm-hmm. yeah i really um, i really like how you i really like that example Uh, as you said, maybe it's not the rocket science or the most evolutionary solution, but it, it highlights what you said there: how to integrate different actors, the science, but also the needs and demands from that example. And I think that that is also so important to look at, and not, uh, I mean, that's perhaps entrepreneurship one on one level, but looking more at the needs and, and and the problems of what what we're trying to to achieve. And another point that I thought was also brilliant that you mentioned that sometimes we don't need to have the full solution in place, but it's it's important to take that first step and test it and iterate and and trust that you have the right capacity and people around around the the specific project to to develop into some smarter and better and more more uh, more sustainable so i think yeah, i really like that uh, that example um mm-hmm. if you would summarize i know you, that you work a lot a lot with uh, system thinking and and uh, integrated uh, perspectives what is it that you feel that systems thinking can teach us about transportation in a sustainable sustainable society or with sustainability problems in in general what is it that system thinking can can teach us yeah that, that that's a big uh, a big question and maybe a, I, i would also like to add to 
to the approaches that we use. We mm. do those experiments, but we also do uh, modeling, high, kind of high-level modeling of the systems, basically using uh, theories from automatic control, one can say, uh, looking at socio-technical systems to understand why they respond in a different way. And then our experiments become kind of, yeah, th those are our experiments to, to find data, to populate or to build the models. Mm. And things that we and, and other even yeah, su super clever systems thinkers in the past have identified is that there are three things with systems that are difficult for us to, to grasp, mm. uh, for us as humans. And uh, the first is feedback loops. Mm. Uh, we are used to thinking linear. We do something, we have a problem, we do something, we solve the problem. Uh, but when we do something that also has uh, like unintended effects, uh, for example, taking, taking the example of the autonomous vehicles. We have a problem with the uh, unsafe vehicles. We solve the problem by doing automation, uh, but the driving becomes cheaper and we drive more. Uh, so, so that's an unintended effect mm. that changes the problem that we had, which means that the solution might be yeah, obsolete or not, at least not complete anymore. We are also really poor at understanding delays. We make, it a, we make a decision, change something, introduce a policy or, or so, and then it takes time. And the effect might come much later. And, and then we are really bad at when something happens, we are also bad at going back in time and understand where, where did this come from. And then the third thing that we are, have challenges in understanding is non-linearities. When we see that there is a, a relation between something and we think that it's linear. And this is really, we see this exponential growth. We saw it by COVID. I, I think that that's a super good example. Yeah, last week it was like two, one case and then it was two cases and then it was four. Yeah, not too bad. And then in a few weeks it was all over the world. Uh, we see the same thing with electrification. First on, on the passenger cars or, and, and now in trucks. It's going and it's going so extremely fast. Mm. And, and we are really, really poor at uh, expecting that. Al Gore once uh, expressed it as, yeah, things always happen slower than we think. And when they start to happen, they always happen faster than we could ever believe. Mm. So then to come to the modeling part mm. here, connecting this, I, I think those modeling tools gives us yeah, tools to describe and, and, and show those properties of different systems. And we are now building on, on making those tools useful for policy, policy makers, for example, so they can do try a policy in the system and then yeah, see what happens. And I, I would really like to ask anyone to look into the, the web page of Climate Interactive where you can really study, use, they have done a, a brilliant example of this, where you can see how different behaviors, how different policies, try them and see what happens with the, with the world's climate. Can, can you, they have a really great tool there, which you can play on, with, on, on your, in your web browser, Climate Interactive.
good tip because sometimes those intangible thought experiments can be a bit more easy to uh, to make if you have something that you can play around with and experience. Um, I think that has been a great lesson for us that experience and behavior sometimes teach us more about our thinking than our thinking sometimes teaches us about our behavior and that they are very interlinked. Mm. Um, Jonathan, we are rounding up here on time and I want to ask you just, is there anything else that you want to bring in before I ask our signature question here? Um, no, but just to comment about it, I'm really glad that you brought up the, the feedback loops. Um, and I think it's a really important highlight to 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 make that we our brains is really present biased that we really really have challenges and difficulties to understand that future feedback that we're going to receive and that is what's a lot about our sustainable transition is about as well that to that a lot of the benefits we will receive in in the future and and now it will seem that we're making maybe a lot of sacrifices or changing a lot of things but feedback for it and the the reward will come maybe a bit later. So I just want to thank you for, for bringing that up. Yeah, it really brings to mind, um, I've recently been reading this book, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow yep. uh, by Daniel Kahneman. And a lot of those things with our biases um, where we are not acting rational, but instead we are behaving in other ways. It's um, because humans aren't rational because we don't have all the perfect information about the mm. future, about the past, about even the present. So thank you for bringing in those perspectives into your examples as well. Uh, but so with that said, um, it was been a pleasure to have you here. And I wonder then with our signature question, what would you like to encourage to our listeners throughout this decade? Yeah, in, in, the, um, like in the spirit of, of testing, I, I would really like to encourage you to, uh, with an open mind, test new behaviors that can be sustainable and, and see and learn make them as a living lab for a time to, to explore what happens if you shift, for example, from using your private car to using public transport, or if you shift for some time to another sustainable way of living and, and uh, learn from, from it and, and be uh, open in that it might surprise you from another perspective. You might, you might change something, but get something, uh, something else that you did not expect. So I think that's my uh, my wish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that one. That's a good one too. A reminder to to be experimentative and to try new things. That's great. And if people want to know more about you or uh, want to get in contact or want to find out more about your work and feel like maybe even they feel like, oh, I really want to read one of your research papers. That sounds super interesting. Where is the best place for people to to find you and your work digitally? Yeah, you find me uh, at the KTH uh, webpage, uh, ITRL, Integrated Transport Research Lab, uh, at the KTH webpage. And there you can also read uh, everything what we, we, we do a lot of projects at the research center that I'm personally is not in- engaged in, but everything is presented on the ITRL uh, webpage. Mm. Perfect. We we'll make sure to put that in the, the show notes below. Thank you a lot, Anna, for today's conversation. It was uh, really fun to talk about the transport industry and uh, everything that we're going through today. So thanks a lot for your uh, insights. Thank you. It was very my pleasure to be here. Great. Thank you.
Thank you very much for listening to this episode of The Decade Podcast. I would like to ask you to reflect on anything in this episode that impacted you or left an impression that you could take with you in this decade of action. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend or in your network on social media. And as always, feel free to reach out with feedback, questions or topics you would like us to cover. You can reach us through our social media or on the decade podcast at gmail.com. And we hope to see you more further down the road throughout this decade. Thank you. Until next time.